It's long been said that children are our most valuable resource. Children are our future. And today's children are tomorrow's leaders. All true statements. But children are also among our most vulnerable populations. Data gathered from back in 2019 showed that over 5,600 North Carolina children were found to be victims of neglect, physical, or sexual abuse. The good news is there is a plethora of agencies and dedicated people working diligently to make that number a downward trend and to provide resources for child victims. One of those people is our guest for podcast episodes this entire month as April is dedicated Child Advocacy Month. Whitney Bellish is the Child Abuse Resource Prosecutor with the North Carolina Conference of District Attorneys. In that capacity, she serves as a resource to assist prosecutors across the state by providing training in the prosecution of cases involving abuses of children. She serves as a resource for law enforcement, social service workers, and other allied professionals. Quentin, um, turn around, I was driving down Quentin, I'm turning around to see if I can find him again. This is at Clover, subject to 1074, Whitney, first of all, thank you so much for taking time to dedicate this entire month of podcast toward, as I said, one of our most valuable resources, our kids. Thank you, Kirk, for having me. I'm happy to be here and talk about this, and hopefully I can expand on the knowledge that officers already have so that we can all work a little bit harder and be a little bit better uh, at keeping the kids safe in North Carolina. Yeah, and that is exactly what this is all about. So I'll have to admit that I got a little bit of an education when I found out about the organization that you work for. So first of all, what I'd like to do is ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and then I want to talk to you about the Conference of District Attorneys. Okay, sure. I uh, myself started out as an assistant district attorney in Johnston County, um, right outside of Raleigh, and uh, worked as an assistant district attorney there for about five and a half years. And towards the end of my time there, I was handling child abuse cases as well as domestic violence cases and some other cases. Um, and, and really enjoy doing that work. Um, it's obviously really difficult work, but I had some good mentors there. Uh, and so kind of sunk my teeth into it and also enjoyed teaching for a variety of groups while I was there as well. Uh, then I started working uh, at the Justice Academy. After I left the district attorney's office, I went to the Justice Academy in Salemburg and was an ins a legal instructor there for officers and helped do legal reviews of material and all that sort of stuff. And then after a year there, I moved up to the attorney general's office in Raleigh, where I was the attorney for the Criminal Justice Education and Trading Standards Commission. and did that for about four and a half years. And then I got this job as the child abuse resource prosecutor with the Conference of Disc Attorneys, which was a group that I had worked with for years and had a lot of respect for. And so when the opportunity came for me to work with them again in a full-time capacity, I took it. And so now I am the child abuse resource prosecutor for the conference. So in law enforcement, we're all familiar with the court system. We're familiar with the district attorneys, but 
truly, again, as I mentioned, a bit of an education to me to find out about the conference of district attorneys. Talk a little bit about that and what you do. Sure. So the conference of district attorneys is the group that is tasked with supporting all the district attorney's offices across the state of North Carolina. And we do that in a variety of ways. One of the main ways that we do that is through training. So we provide all the training that all the district attorneys and assistant district attorneys across the state get. Um, they're mandated to get a certain amount of training hours, just like officers get. And so we are the group that provides that in a variety of different ways with both big general conferences and also specialized training in different areas. We also provide technical support to not just prosecutors, but any folks that really need it, law enforcement, allied professionals that need technical support. You know, I've got this coming up in court and I don't, obviously don't have time to research it because I'm in court all the time. Uh, which is a common problem and lament of prosecutors and with law enforcement always out in the field. So we provide some of that technical assistance as well. And we have a variety of folks that are called resource prosecutors and they have specialized areas. So I am the child abuse resource prosecutor. Uh, we have traffic safety resource prosecutors. We have uh, homicide and arson resource prosecutor, a domestic violence and sexual assault resource prosecutor. So we try to have somebody at the ready when anybody has questions or needs training of any sort. We also take a handful of cases ourselves that are essentially conflict cases that come out of anywhere in the state. We will take those in our area of specialty and be prosecutors in those cases. Well, and you know that just the whole explanation you just gave makes perfectly good sense because in law enforcement, training is a key word. It's, you know, the 24 hours of in-service every year. It's, of course, the Justice Academy being able to provide training. So it just makes sense that DEAs and ADAs through our state get that kind of training. And, and what, a, what an awesome resource it is to be able to provide the legal system with some ongoing training as well. So with that in mind, let's talk about your position so I've worked with uh, child abuse and, and neglect investigators in the past. And that is the one thing that, that you mentioned is how difficult that job can be. Um, burnout sometimes is very high because of the things that you are told and obviously the things that you see. So in your position, and you touched on it just a little bit, but kind of go into depth and if you've got an example that, that you can help expand on a little bit and talk about what the child abuse resource prosecutor does. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned the idea of burnout and how difficult it is to work with these cases because while a lot of our training and technical support that we provide at the conference is focused on legal technical support and legal training, you know, how do you try these cases? What is the law on this issue or that issue? Uh, that sort of thing. We also try to focus on the people that are working these cases. And so in addition to all of that legal training and support, we have been trying to focus a lot on wellness and trying to make sure that people are taking care of themselves because there is a lot of burnout. We're all better off if we are as fresh as we can be when we work these cases and as emotionally stable as we can be when we work these cases, we're serving the public best when we are. So we have focused a lot on that, continue to focus a lot on that. 
you know, a lot of countries uh, outside of the United States, a lot of countries in Europe, they actually require that uh, prosecutors and investigators that work on child abuse cases and things like this that are extremely emotional and sensitive that they rotate out after like 18 months just to make sure that they do not get burnout and make sure that they do have a chance to take a break from these cases. And so I think that tells us a lot about what kind of impact this can have on anybody who touches these kinds of cases and what they carry with them. But one of the things that we can do, you know, we can't make people take care of themselves. Unfortunately, we can't make people always be in the best headspace. But what we can do is provide them with support and assistance so that they have a little bit less stress, so that they have a little bit more resources available to them to help in a variety of different ways. And so we do that and continue to do that. Uh, And not just, again, for prosecutors, but for all the folks that we touch with the criminal justice system uh, to help support them in any way that we can. Well, once again, you've kind of touched on my next question. You, You discuss those resources, but I would like to get a little bit more in depth with those so that We know there's certainly some law enforcement folks who are listening to our podcast. So let me ask this really specific question. What other resources are available for officers in dealing with these issues that come up uh, legal or or investigative in child abuse and neglect? Luckily, there are some great resources and they're always more growing. One of the first resources that I would recommend is, again, our resource prosecutors here at the Conference of DAs. We also get questions regularly from law enforcement, and so we're happy to answer those questions when we can. You know, sometimes it's hard to get their local ADA on the phone because they're in court all the time. Uh, And so even though we might not be able to give them the sort of specific answer that they might be looking for, a lot of times we can point them in the right direction. And so that's certainly something I can do in child abuse related uh, issues, but it doesn't end there. Luckily, Uh, that is just a, a place to start. Uh, We also have a listserv that I definitely recommend that law enforcement that might even be thinking about or in any way dealing with child abuse issues that they get on and they can email me at my email address to get an invite to the listserv. But it's the Child Abuse Listserv, North Carolina Child Abuse Listserv. And we post all sorts of things there. We have discussions. I post any upcoming training, not only from our group, from the Conference of Disc Attorneys, but also from the local CACs, from DSS, from any kind of training that might interest prosecutors, law enforcement, other folks, national or state level training. I put that on there. We talk about when new cases come out, what they mean for the investigation and prosecution of child abuse cases. So there's a little write-up on the case, and usually I attach the body of the case so people can read it as well. And then a lot of times we just have people that are saying, hey, I'm seeing this in my jurisdiction. Here's an issue that's coming up. I don't know how to deal with it. Or has anybody seen this before? And honestly, that's a huge resource, in my opinion, for a lot of folks who deal with these cases is knowing that there are other people out there that are dealing with the same sorts of things that you're dealing with that are seeing some of the same things, or maybe they're seeing something that you haven't seen yet, but you're going to as it makes its way around the state in whatever way it may. And so we try to provide that as this kind of clearinghouse for all of those. There's also great resources in your community at the Child Advocacy Centers. CACs are wonderful resources. And even if you don't have one in your particular county, there's always one that serves your area. It may be in the county over or even a couple counties over if you're in a large rural area. But they service 
all of those counties that surround them and are happy to help. And they provide a wonderful resource for all sorts of things. They do training, they meet with victims, they provide resources to families, they provide mental health services, medical examinations, all sorts of things. And they also can be a great place for law enforcement to learn about the resources in their area um, and what may be going on in their particular location. Well, I vividly remember as a young cop 107 years ago, when we would get involved with some type of child abuse, neglect, uh, sexual abuse case involving minors, it seemed like there were three words that always entered the investigative process and usually very early on. And those words were Department of Social Services. I think that's actually four words, but commonly known as DSS. So let me change gears on you just a little bit and, and downshift you off of the the legal side of it from your standpoint and talk a little bit about DSS and what kinds of cases they can be involved in and, again, what resource do they play to law enforcement? Absolutely. DSS is a wonderful resource. There's sometimes misunderstandings between law enforcement and DSS, and that's one thing that we're working very hard to do is sort of bridge those gaps because Really, kids are much safer when all of the agencies that work on these cases are working well together and understand each other. And so I think it's really important that officers, especially newer officers that may not be aware of what DSS can and cannot do, you know, sometimes they're very frustrated because they feel like, well, this is DSS's job and and maybe it's not. So we want to make sure that everybody understands kind of what everybody else is doing. The left hand understands what the right hand is doing, if you will. So DSS, again, is a wonderful resource and is really important to this process of protecting children, but they are limited. Their resources are limited, just like ours are, uh, just like those of law enforcement are, and they are absolutely limited in what they're able to help with, not only by their resources, but also by the law. DSS, Department of Social Services, you can also call them Child Protective Services, they are tasked with determining if there's any abuse, neglect, or dependency at the hands of a caretaker. And that's important because we're, as a criminal justice group, interested in any kind of abuse or neglect that's going on with a child. But DSS can only handle abuse or neglect that's happening at the hands of a parent or a caretaker. And a caretaker is defined as any person other than a parent, guardian, or custodian who has responsibility for the health and welfare of a child in a residential setting. So that's a pretty broad category, but it's definitely not everyone, unfortunately, that abuses children. And so DSS has to first make an assessment before they can really get involved in a case, whether this falls into their statutory mandate, whether the law is telling them this is a case that you can get involved in. Um, But once they can get involved, they have a lot of resources at their disposal, and they can get involved in cases that may not break a criminal law. So cases where a law enforcement officer may not be able to arrest or charge anyone and do anything with that as far as processing it through the criminal justice system, they can do it at the DSS level, and they can take action to try to protect children, to try to make sure that they're safe, to come up with a safety plan to keep children safe, protect them for the future, and do that in a way that that the criminal justice system may have its hands tied as far as their ability to do something. And so that's another reason why they're such a great resource is that they are given the tools to act very quickly 
they are given the tools to act at a high level to protect children when law enforcement sometimes has to take a back seat and wait to collect evidence and wait to determine whether there's enough and who's responsible. But DSS's first obligation mandate is to protect the child, and they can do that again a lot much quicker because of the way that they're set up. But they do need an order, a judicial order, to take a child. And so I think that's something else that causes some misunderstanding sometime with law enforcement is, you know, they want DSS to swoop in and get this kid out of there. And a lot of times they may be able to do that really quickly in some some really extreme circumstances when there's a an imminent danger. But a lot of times they have processes that, you know, just like we do on the criminal justice side, they have processes that they have to go through as well in order to do that. And so while they're a wonderful resource, they're not they're not Superman. They have limitations just like everybody else. So uh, again, they are absolutely always involved and we should be working with them hand in hand. And that's another reason why getting involved with the child advocacy centers in your area is such a wonderful thing because they are actually built to put all those pieces together. They have MDTs, multidisciplinary teams that that they put together that meet, and that is intended to get DSS working with law enforcement on that case, working with the DA's office, working with um, other community resources that may be required or may be needed, working with medical professionals that may be involved in the case. And so it's important that you know we take this team approach because DSS, law enforcement, and everybody else all has the same goal, but you know, they're all kind of bringing different parts of that puzzle together. Well, I want to thank you for your explanation and, and kind of defining role of DSS, because I, I think that breaks a paradigm that so many of us have fallen into, that DSS is a great resource. DSS can do a lot of things, but they can't do everything. So that does dispel a lot of myths that that I've certainly heard over the years, and I'm and I'm sure the same thing for our listeners as well. I want to change gears on you one more time, and this time I'm going to put it in reverse. I probably should have asked this question a little bit earlier when we were talking about the child advocacy centers. Again, kind of a new term on me, um, a, a new resource to law enforcement. It it may be old and may have been out there for a long time, but I just want to make sure that the the law enforcement guys who are listening can get really zeroed in on these CACs. Um, You mentioned the fact that they're not in every county. So if you would, as we kind of begin to close this thing out, I I want to give them a, a little bit more exposure once again and talk about if if a law enforcement guy is involved in a case and he sees or she sees that the CAC might be of some assistance, how they make that initial contact, and in turn, how the Child Advocacy Center can help law enforcement. CACs are really a wonderful resource, Kirk, and it's something that I think there are a lot of uh, folks out there that are not aware of them. And one of the reasons is that they started out in just a small handful of counties and have continued to expand. And luckily, we've gotten several new ones just in the past few years in areas where they weren't before. And they're such an important resource that, you know, it's my hope that, you know, one day we'll have one in every county. But right now we have one that serves every county in some capacity, even if it may be a little bit further away than we would want it to be. So if 
officers want to find out more about what their local CAC is or where it might be and what it can do, the first place I would send them is to go to their to the website for CACNC. And that website can allow them to look up where their local uh, CAC or, or what would be the closest one for them. And I mean, sometimes it may be that they're sent to one that's a little bit further away to the, from them, but that's the kind of one that they're assigned to. And so they can find that map at CACNC. They really are a wonderful resource. And one of the reasons why is that every CAC has a forensic, at least one uh, forensic interviewer who conducts interviews of children at the CAC. So at the CAC, they actually will do a full medical evaluation of a child that's uh, a suspected victim of child abuse and severe neglect. And those evaluations include these first forensic interviews with children where people who are specially trained to speak with children and talk to them in, a, in settings that are comfortable for them. And that is, again, a part of these medical evaluations. And actually, if a case involves CPS, if DSS is involved in the case and, and law enforcement are kind of working it at the same time on parallel investigations, then CPS needs to be the one that involves the, the CAC and the medical evaluation. But if CPS is not involved, like let's say that the alleged perpetrator is not a caretaker or parent of the child, but it's someone else, and law enforcement wants that child to be interviewed by a forensic interviewer, wants that child to go through a medical evaluation, then law enforcement is actually able to request their own medical evaluation at the CAC and can initiate that. So again, if CPS is involved, they need to be the ones to do that initial contact with the CAC about getting a medical evaluation. But if it is a law enforcement only case, they are capable of contacting the CAC and seeking out that medical evaluation themselves. And so that's one great thing about the CACs too, again, is having these folks that are in these child-friendly rooms. You know, you take children there, you take children to a police station, and it's not really very welcoming. I mean, that's not really what it's supposed to be. And there's really no facility in a police station that's going to be child-friendly, especially when we're talking about young children, but really any children. The CAC is set up to have these rooms that are very child-friendly, very welcoming, and they have people who are specially trained to speak with children and to make sure that the child is comfortable, that the child is able to get resources and treatment as needed based on what happens during their interaction, and also that they know how to speak with and interview children in a way that is not going to be suggestive, but is going to be uh, important as to getting this narrative from them about what happened to them. And so that is another reason why a CAC is such a wonderful resource is because it's set up to speak with children and also set up to get these children the help that they may need after we're all out of this process, after we are all have gone about our way and moved on to other cases, the CAC can be there to provide support, ongoing support for kids. Well, Whitney, our time has wound down for this particular episode, but the great news is for our listeners, there are three more to come as we put the spotlight on Child Advocacy Month. You've gotten us off to a great start. I'm really excited to talk about the ones to come. Thank you so much for your time today. Looking forward to the future episodes with you. Thank you. April is Child Advocacy Month, and the Justice Academy is dedicated to joining the many North Carolina agencies working on behalf of those who, not by their own choices, become victims of neglect, physical, or sexual abuse. Our guest for all of our April episodes is Whitney Bellish, 
the Child Abuse Resource Prosecutor with the North Carolina Conference of District Attorneys. Please join us again for our next episode as we continue our discussions on child advocacy in North Carolina. NCJA 1014.